Welcome to Homeschool Your Way, the upbeat, open-minded podcast that informs and affirms your choices about your kids' education. We'll provide a buffet of ideas to inspire you to homeschool your way, because your way is the best way. All of the content on the Homeschool Your Way podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be taken as medical or legal advice. The views expressed by the hosts or guests of the show are not necessarily endorsed by Bookshark. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Homeschool Your Way. We're your hosts, Didi and Jimena, also known as the Chips and Salsa Ladies from Chips and Salsa Homeschooling. Today we have a special treat. We're doing a roundtable chat with our co-host, Jana Cook. Hey, Jana. Hello, Dee. Hello, Havana. Thanks for having me. I mean, you are the host of Bookshark's Homeschool Your Way, so we just love that we get to do an episode with you because we love listening to your podcasts. As much as I love listening to your guys' podcasts, and as you pass the mantle over full-time to me as host of Homeschool Your Way, just let me tell you, it has been a privilege, and I will take your baby and do with it, hopefully, something that will make you guys proud. Aww. Well, I just I want to encourage every listener here that the content is going to continue to be just as great. And, you know, if you want to continue to be encouraged and continue to, um, you know, feel empowered, then continue to listen to this podcast and tell your friends about it. That's right. Well, today we wanted to bring you some encouragement and answer some of those common questions that we find homeschoolers always have. So we formulated a list from our Instagram and uh, other homeschool moms that we've talked to so that we can give you guys a great episode today. But first, let's get to our hack of the week. Jimena, what do you have for us? So, you know... If people have been following us on Instagram and watch our Trader Joe's race, they will see that I always beat you. <laughs> yes, it's true. <laughs> I'm not as organized as Jimena. <laughs> well, you're organized in other things more than I am. But the reason why I win a lot, I think anyway, although Didi disagrees, is uh, that I make a list. And... Usually, I'm pretty consistent about making a menu every week. And so I'll make a menu depending on what we have going on that week, obviously. If we have a birthday party or I'm entertaining or that week, you know, we happen to have dinner at my mother-in-law's or whatever. So I, I plan accordingly. And then I go and I use uh, an app called Google Keep. And that's where I make my list. And I have a Trader Joe's one and I have a Costco one but it doesn't end there. Then I order the list according to the order of the store. So I just zoom right by and I get my stuff. (laughs) Genius. But I've been doing this for a really long time. It's just a habit that I've been that I've built since my kids were really little. And um, so I haven't stopped doing it. And when I don't do it, I feel so lost. And I always forget something and you know, it's kind of uh, stressful. So if you're not a list maker, I get it. But I think to have a sense of what you're cooking and what you're making that week, and then also having a established shopping day, because that's what 
we have established. We shop every Monday. And so that really helps the organization and the planning. You know, we just want to encourage you to to try it out because it ha- it does make my week a lot uh, simpler, a lot more organized. And I find that we waste less food that way. And also, I always have an idea of what I'm going to make for dinner. That's a great hack, Jimena. You know, one of these days, I'm going to get better. Um, I think, for one, uh, my list is not as customizable. Right. Because I do make a list, okay? I'm not completely, (laughs) you know, unorganized. But... Also, I always say that I have more people to shop for, and that makes a difference, too. But either way, it's a great hack. Thank you for sharing. (laughs) If you have a hack you'd like to share with us, visit us at bookshark.com slash podcast. We'd love to hear from you and feature your hack on a future episode. And if you want to follow and watch our hilarious Trader Joe's races, just type in hashtag Trader Joe's race. All right, so let's get to it. So we have questions that we posted on our Chips and Salsa private Facebook group, as well as Facebook and Instagram. And this is what we got. Although, you know, Jana, you were saying that a lot of the questions end up being the same. I think we find that often in life, Um, no matter how long we've been doing something, Every now and then we need reassurance. We need to ask those questions again. And I think it's actually a great idea to reassess, to ask those basic questions so that you can answer them from maybe my sixth year in homeschooling, as opposed to asking them from my first year in homeschooling. Yeah, that's really good. And I think that we often forget when we're in the thick of it, you know, so we just need those friendly reminders. So that's what we're going to do today. So the first question, I think, A lot of us feel like, oh, that's been debunked, but people still want to know, how will your child be socialized? Who wants to tackle it first? (laughs) I think that um, from a unique perspective, because I was homeschooled as a child, I, I hear it a lot. I heard it a lot then, and I still hear it a lot now. And I think it's easy to say that you can socialize your child in so many different ways, but coming out of this pandemic into, it feels like a whole new world is being opened back up to us. Maybe if you have been pandemic homeschooling, you really don't know what socializing for homeschool looks like. So I would say my first and foremost is finding community. And one of the quickest ways to find that is through a co-op locally. Yeah, that's really great advice because I think you're absolutely right our social life as homeschoolers has completely been altered with this pandemic. And so before it was where my kids had soccer and ballet and Awana and, you know, co-op. I mean, they had plenty of socialization. And then it's, you know, all of a sudden went to nothing. So, or to us really having to be very intentional about seeking you know, play dates. And we did that last week. Like, I was like, when are we getting the boys together? You know, because they go to private school now. So you just have to be intentional about it. And it's, it can be hard and it can be overwhelming. And I think it's important to also remember that socializing isn't only getting with kids your own age, that our kids are socializing when they're hanging out with uh, 
people of all ages and demographics. So maybe it's just getting involved in a club, something at the community center or library um, where they're going to be interacting with people from different age groups. I think it's also important to keep in mind that you are a person and them having a relationship with you is socializing. Um, I don't know why we think that they have to be socialized by other people, but us upbringing our children and having discussions with them and teaching them how the proper ways to respond when you're angry or all of that is socialization and skills that they're going to need for life. So don't discard that either and be like, oh, well, they're just with me all day. Um, I think it's an important part of their socialization. I think another important piece, and it's something that during this last two years, I've been very intentional about, is actually going and doing things where I connect with people. So if you take your child to run errands, go inside the bank, park the car, go inside the bank, make direct eye contact with the teller, say, hello, how are you today? You're showing your child how to interact socially within, you know, just day-to-day activities. But we're so quick to take the easy way because of time, because of maybe comfort. I mean, there's so many reasons why. But when we are intentional about taking the time to actually connect with people outside of our home in social settings, it's something that this generation needs regardless if you're homeschooling or not. Oh, my gosh, Jana, you are so right. Just the other day, my daughter got her first debit card and she had to activate it. So I told her, oh, just call the number. Oh, no, I don't want to call the number. I'm like, literally, it's a machine. You won't have to talk to a human. Oh, really? Oh, okay. She wanted to do it online because she was scared to talk to a person. I have an example, too. Just Friday, we went out to eat, my son, my husband, and I. And I told my son, go ask for a box, please. And, you know, his face of horror, you know, I have to talk to people. (laughs) I'm like, go, go, go. And, you know, he's like, can you do it? No, 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 you do it. You know, and the reason I'm pushing him is because I want you to just have these normal interactions, you know, going to a restaurant and saying, excuse me, can I please have a box, you know? And he did it and he did great. (laughs) He survived. (laughs) But I was thinking about that. I was like, these are the skills that we need to be teaching them because even if they're getting together with kids their own age, like you said, that doesn't equal socialization. That doesn't mean they're going to be able to know how to ask for a box to go. Right. My daughter went out to eat with a friend yesterday day and I basically dropped her off at the restaurant and left and then I was thinking when I you know I went to go work at a coffee shop I was like she's gonna have to order I mean she she orders you know stuff but she's gonna have to order ask for the check you know make sure like things that um she hasn't necessarily done before she always goes you know to fast food places or whatever and I was like thinking this is good for her you know like she needs more of these experiences um because even though they're teenagers I feel like nowadays they're less and less um, exposed to these things, and they're, I, I don't know, they're, they're scared to do these little real-life things. Yeah, and it's not just homeschoolers. Exactly. Okay. And it's not just children. It's adults alike. In the age of DoorDash, Uber, Instacart, you really can avoid people for long periods of time for just a little bit extra money. So my hope in our community as homeschoolers is that we will come out of this time, um, more socialized and more prepared to be better producing citizens than maybe the average, average person has been in the past. So true. Well, we're hopeful with you, Jana. 
All right, let's move on to our next question. We can keep talking about this forever. Um, okay, so homeschool high school transcripts and how-tos for college as a high schooler. Oof, I think we need to do an episode about this. Yes. <laughs> well, it's such a common question because a lot of people feel like, well, how do you even get credit if you're homeschooling for high school? But you can... Do it and you can create a transcript and colleges love homeschoolers, or at least so I've been told. No, no, it's true. I read a, a Harvard article the other day. You know, we had a Harvard article come out like during the pandemic, just dogging on homeschoolers and how homeschool is abusive and all this stuff. And then all of a sudden they came out with an article saying how, no, that's like the new path to Harvard is being homeschooled. <laughs> so I'm going with the latter. I will say as a student who homeschooled in high school and went into college, I actually was given scholarships because I was a homeschool student because they saw the value of being a self-starter and being able to regulate my time even before I came into the classroom. So it is a myth. Um, I do concur that it is actually they, they do prefer homeschool students or they look for homeschool students because they know they already have um, hopefully the study skills, the study habits, and the self-determination to do that. I would say that when I was looking to do, um, to put my girls in a hybrid high school coming out of homeschooling through um, middle school, it was very easy to work with um, the institution. They actually gave me a, a template and said, okay, tell, tell us, tell us what you did this last, they just even wanted the last year. And so now with the way that colleges are working, and again, coming out of this time period that we've been in, they're so much more apt to help people. So if you are looking to put together a high school transcript and you know where your child wants to go to college, either, um, you know, especially if it is a community college that's local or a local college in general, they're very helpful. Those admission people will um, email you a template most of the time. Um, it, it's very homeschool friendly in these last couple of years, especially. That is so awesome. What are some other ways that someone can create a transcript? Well, I know there's a lot of websites where you can, like you said, download templates, but there's also organizations that are there to help. Um, there are people that help you stay legal within your state. Um, I know that we've used HSLDA, but I know there's other um, organizations as well. I know that moms themselves who have already graduated their kids, Sometimes they offer these services to to um, to people. So it's just about looking and asking around, depending on where you are in the United States. Um, all of that is going to, you know, determine your high school path. But also don't discredit, um, you know, community college, because that's what people are doing like a lot is they, they'll just go to community college straight from junior high and finish their high school that way. Mm -hmm. And um, and then they basically have an associate's degree, you know, by the time they graduate and they can just transfer to any any university. So um, there's there's a lot of different ways to do this. And so it's not really a simple question to, you know, to answer right here on this podcast. But, you know, look for books, look for those resources, because they're out there. I think there's like an entire podcast dedicated to homeschool high school that I listen to. So, you know, just look for it because it's there. Okay, well, let's stop here and take a little break. And when we get back, we're going to continue answering these great questions. Who wants a coupon? Yeah, you want a coupon. We all love getting dollars off a purchase, right? 
Well, Bookshark has a coupon especially for podcast listeners. You can get it by visiting the Bookshark website. So go to bookshark.com, of course, and then add slash podcast dash five to that URL. Again, that's bookshark.com slash podcast dash five. From there, you get a unique single use code that gives $5 off anything at bookshark.com. Anything at all, no minimum purchase required. So yes, you could buy a single title if you like. There are so many good books on Bookshark's website from history to science to fiction. Or you could put your $5 towards an instructor's guide, maybe a hands-on kit. You don't have to buy a full curriculum package to use this coupon. It's valid on any purchase at all. Go ahead and open a browser to bookshark.com slash podcast dash five and get your free $5 store coupon. The $5 podcast listener coupon is limited to one per household, one coupon per order. Welcome back. Today we are talking to Jana and we're having a little round table and we're answering all of those common questions that we get and that we did get from you. And so we're going to get right to it and answer some more. But before we do that, we want to share our weekly reflection. And this week, Dee Dee is going to share with us. Yeah. So, you know, I have four teenagers now, which, you know, just the saying it is really just, wow. On one hand, it's so exciting. And I just love seeing the kids blossom into their own personalities and everything. But on the other hand, the reality is that they're going to be starting to go off to college. And I don't know, I'm feeling really nostalgic lately, just remembering them as kids. And so my reflection was just the other day, um, me and the boys were all, um, we all sing in the choir together. And it was just so great that we have, we do, we're doing life together. Yeah. You know, and just enjoying those moments where we're spinning together. We played an escape room board game together the other day and just cherishing those precious moments together and knowing that, you know, when they're all split up and going to college and working, that those moments are going to be less and less. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm just feeling like, The time is short. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's it, crazy. It's so true. And, you know, we follow a few Instagram accounts where they're in the same position that we are in. And um, I recently talked to somebody, you know, at, at church, and they were saying how they've been empty nesters for a couple years now. And, you know, she still cries about it. Oh. It's hard. It's just a hard phase. Well, I guess the reflection this week is just cherish every moment. It's hard being a parent. Homeschooling is so hard. But to sit back and realize these are the days. Mm-hmm. Having our kids with us every day, spending those hours, sometimes even the frustrating moments of disciplining and correction. It's a wonderful journey. And so enjoy it, parents, because it does go fast. That's a great reflection. Well, if you have a reflection that you want to share with us, go to bookshark.com. This can be an aha moment, a lesson learned, just a simple reflection like the one we did today, or a quote, a book that you're reading. It could be anything. We'd love to hear it. 
write to us and we might feature it in one of our episodes. I think another question that is big on parents' mind when they're homeschooling is this feeling of, I would say an overwhelming feeling of how do I know I am doing enough? You know, when you are at a school or even if you are online schooling, you have a set um, amount of things that you have to do. You have checklists that have to be done. It's it's very, very structured. And in homeschooling your way, we talk all the time about how, you know, you, there's so many different ways to homeschool. So if you're using something that isn't structured, how do you know you're doing enough? Or like me, who and you guys who have used Bookshark, it is structured. You still wonder if you're doing enough. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's so true. I think one of the things um, it, to remember or just refresh ourselves with is that kids are always learning. And so are they going to have exactly the same proficiency on every subject like their peer? Probably not, because there's going to be gaps and there's going to be uh, personality and they're going to be interests that are going to be different than the next person. So get out of that comparing game and really look at your student and your own intuition about whether or not they're where they should be and how to push them, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a matter of perspective because you know, you know your child the best. So like if you see that they're not being challenged, well then, you know, there's something that you can add, right? And if they're overwhelmed, then you need to take away. And so the whole enough thing, I think, comes from a perspective of thinking that there are standards you have to hit and milestones you have to hit, then that comes from our schooling background, right? But when you're homeschooling, we have to let that go and realize that we are um, teaching our child how to learn and the whole child, right? So sometimes for us, it'd be like, oh, well, he spent all day doing this art project. That's not enough. I mean, talk to any on-schooler, they're going to tell you, yes, it is enough, because right then, you know, that day, they learned how to do all sorts of things, you know, through that art project. So it is it, a matter of, of letting letting go, I think, mentally, mm-hmm. and not, not trying to control everything, because just like you said, they're going to keep learning. I mean, who remembers everything they learned in school? Like, we don't, you know, so... I think the 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 fallacy is thinking that the, we need to teach him everything by the time they're eighteen. That does that's just such a lie, and I think that really robs our um, th- the joy out of teaching our kids or even you know letting them self learn. And if we are really, I mean, my heart's desire has always been to help cultivate lifelong learners. So if we have these checklists and and we mark them off and then we're kind of setting up our children to say, hey, you've learned it all. You're done. I know adults who think that they've learned it enough and they're done. And and I find that interacting with them can be incredibly frustrating because (laughs) we can always know more. We can know more and do better. And so when we think about educating our children, it's almost like nets. And so uh, yeah, maybe maybe that first time you said it or that first book of math you went through, it it didn't, you know, some things caught, but some things didn't. But then the next time you go over it, because we all know it inevitably, you will re-talk about fractions and multiplication and division. And so this idea of 
having to master something, like you said, Didi, at a certain age is really could hinder this lifelong learning. There is no magic to it has to be done or you have to master it by this age, by this time. It's um, did you enjoy that? Okay, you didn't enjoy it. Why? Is there a way that we can look at it so you can enjoy it? And sometimes no, sometimes people just students, our kids, me, I'm like, I didn't like that. But when it comes back up, okay, now I see why, now I see why that that math was important. Um, and yeah, I didn't understand math at 12 the way I do now. My brain wasn't fully developed. So just really appreciating that your child is getting their feet wet. You're introducing them to something new. It's almost like, you know, when you have a picky eater and you're like, just try it. Yeah. And even if they only take a small bite, that's a victory because they did something they didn't want to do. They were uncomfortable with and whether they liked it or not now, instead of just having um, an idea, they can have an educated opinion like, oh, I tried it now. I didn't like it. I don't have to try it again. Unfortunately, with math, that's just not true. But (laughs) (laughs) well, I I read a blog uh, uh, from an unschooler. She was unschooled her whole life. And she was saying how she never wrote an essay you know, her entire homeschool life. Like she, she wrote one and it was awful. When she got to, to university, um, that's when she learned how to write an essay. And she said it took her, what, a week, you know, to figure it out. Because at that point, she's mature enough, right? She was, um, she was ready to take that information and do what she needed to do. And she was saying that actually uh, most of her peers were struggling because they had to unlearn everything they had learned in high school, which was not applicable to university, like the way they taught them how to write essays. Yeah. In high school. So she was like, I actually did better than most of my peers. And so, it, it, I mean, that was encouraging. I'm not saying don't write essays or don't encourage your kids to write. I'm just saying there will be a time where they're going to be ready to do it. And when they do it, they're going to do it well. And it doesn't mean you have to be grinding them the entire time, you know, th- their entire childhood. And I think that's where that enough concept uh, trips us up, you know, because we think that it's got to be enough to, to keep them, f- you know, forward, you know, to keep them moving forward. But really, like you said, learning is, you, it's, you build a foundation, but it's about the, the, the learning how to learn that is going to take them through life. Yeah, and I think about subjects like history and science. When you have the oh, I did enough mentality. I feel like, like you said, Jana, oh, I checked that off. Mm -hmm. And you'll talk to some kids and you're like, oh, I already learned about World War II. Like, you can't know or learn everything everything about World War II. It's a bottomless pit, right? So yeah, we're going to scratch the surface. And yet they think, oh, I did that. Check. Right. Right? And so learning history is not about capturing all the dates and knowing all the facts. It's really just about being exposed and being well-rounded and an opportunity to write a paper or opportunity to learn how to research. I feel like those are the things you're really learning Mm -hmm. when you're going through history and science in middle school and high school. There's so much more you're learning than the facts and the figures. I fully agree. Another question that we got on our Instagram was someone saying, I'm not seeing progress. And this kind of goes along with the doing enough. Does this mean my child's not learning? Should I change my method or put them back into school? 
No, <laughs> don't put them back into school. They are learning. And, you know, just like the conversation about are they doing enough, the progress that you're, you might not always see something tangible mm-hmm. right away. But you have to give it time, right? Well, and I think, again, that goes back to, you know, the way we've been taught that school should look like. We, we are always looking for the proof. Yeah. Our kids are not proof. You know what I mean? Like that, like I think they're, they're, they're whole children that are learning and they're humans and they're going, they're not going to not know stuff. That's impossible. Our brain is just doesn't work that way. So I think the progress can be subjective. What, what do you think progress is? Are you trying to hit a milestone? You try to hit a standard. That's going to be rough. Yeah, that made me think about when we're potty training. Because, like, every high schooler's got it down, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, you know what? I, I struggled. Like, my kids were late potty trainers. Like, it was told there were three. And I remember being really frustrated. And my mom said, Jimena, they're not going to be 12 years old, like, pooping in their pants, okay? Like, just believe me. You know, and I, that really encouraged me because I was like, you're right. Like, eventually they're going to learn it. <laughs> Yes, well, sometimes it's the difference between one month to the next month, but it feels so big at the time. It could also be that it's not even whether or not we're seeing progress in our child. It's the expectation that we have as the parent teaching our child, just like in potty training. What will my friends think about me as a mom if my four-year-old isn't 100% potty trained? What will people think of my eight-year-old if they don't know a common fact that maybe a a typical eight-year-old in the public system knows. Now, ironically, you could probably line up 10 eight-year-olds from a random sampling of public schools, and you're not even going to find consistency within that. But like Jimena said, we have this idea that somehow it's supposed to be at this point. But a a lot of times I find when I'm getting frustrated, when I'm not seeing progress in my children, it's really about me. It's about my expectation about what I thought they should have done or how far they should have gotten. A perfect example is my 12-year-old who I'm still homeschooling and she is really dogging on the read-alouds this year. Mm. And this is probably the year I've done the best at staying on top of doing the (laughs) read-alouds. And I've admitted before, I hate reading aloud. If I can find it on audio, that's my first choice because I can talk all day, but I can't read out loud all day. It's very strange. So she was just giving me issue about, oh my gosh, this book is the worst and it's worse than the last book and just complaining and she's 12. But I have to tell you this last weekend, she read an entire novel outside of her homeschool curriculum for fun. She never, I mean, she's read books before, but this was like, where is she? Where is she? Every time we turn around, she's upstairs in her room reading. That's progress people. I mean, reading for fun outside of homeschool curriculum, like I don't know about you, but I'm geeked out by this. Absolutely. And and you'll see moments like that in your homeschooling where all of a sudden something will wake up in them and you see the fruit, but you might not see it for years. And you have to trust the process. And that's the thing. I mean, and the teachers in public schools have to trust the process of what they're doing too. Because I know they do have to have a lot more proof with tests and that kind of thing. But even so, when kids are not doing well, it doesn't mean your child's going to f- be a failure in life, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that leads us to our next uh, question. 
which is would they learn better if I were a certified teacher? No. <laughs> we can keep that one simple. <laughs> well, first off, you have to take a step back and realize you have been their primary teacher from day one. Think about all the things that you have already taught your child before they enter kindergarten. So much. Well, didn't we talk to uh, Leilani on our episode? Um, If you haven't listened to our episode with Leilani about, um, you know, Down syndrome and her journey, she was a a public school teacher. Yeah. And she said it was like, it did not help her at all in her homeschool journey. (laughs) And whenever I talk to actual teachers, I'm like, oh, well, why don't you homeschool? Oh, no, no, I can't teach my kids. So, you know, it doesn't it doesn't transfer because it's your children. And I mean, it might transfer for some people. I don't know. But but it's not a prerequisite for homeschooling. I think about any profession, if you talk to people who are professional bakers or chefs or um, people in construction or electric, you know, electric, they, um, they, they work all day long doing that. There's a, they're the ones who don't bake from scratch birthday cakes for their parents, for their kids. They're the ones who, you know, put together the most simplest meals when they're at home. It, you're, when you're when you do a profession and you're getting paid for it, it you have a different um, not not a standard, but you have a different goal, right? When you're at home teaching your child, I think the biggest motivation is, you know, what is your goal? What are are you're not you're not teaching to a classroom to a standard for a test to make sure that you pass your um, evaluation at the end of the year, right? Like when you're a parent homeschooling, you want your kids, again, everyone's a little bit different, mine is to love learning. It, it isn't necessarily to ace anything. Um, it is just to not kill the love of learning. That's my only goal, ladies. I'll let you know how it goes. I mean, that's an amazing goal, right? Well, my brother-in-law, my sister-in-law, they're all teachers. And they've all told me that standards are just completely archaic and that the school system's behind. So, you know, I don't know that being a certified teacher will help you, you know? And my daughter's third grade teacher before I pulled her out said, this model doesn't work with so many kids. You know, most of the time they're doing classroom management and dealing with a lot of social things, you know, that kids bring from home. And so, I don't even know that they have a chance to really put their, <laughs> you know, their experience to work in in the classroom setting. So I think it's just important to to remember what Dee Dee said. You know, we are our child's primary teacher, and they're going to learn from you best. And and you're not the only one that they can learn from. You have a family, you have a community, and they're going to be learning from people throughout their whole lives. And I do think in this day and age, we have the opportunity that if it is something that you yourself have struggled with, especially as your children get into the higher um, grades, if you will, you know, we don't like to talk about grades, but if it's something that you don't do well yourself, outsource. There's so many opportunities for you to find someone. And you know what? There's things that I do well. I don't translate that well to my children. They will say, we don't know what you're, we don't understand what you're saying. And so I say it again. And they're like, what part did you not get? We don't understand what you're saying. And I say, I don't know how to say it any differently. 
And therein lies the problem. So it's not that I'm not a good teacher and it's not that they're unable to learn. It's that we're almost talking two different languages. And so I have to find someone who maybe the language translates a little bit better for that particular subject. And that's setting them up for success. And it's setting me up for success for my ultimate goal for them too. Well, Jana, thank you so much. This has been a great episode. I hope that it answered some of your common questions, or maybe you have some friends who are new to homeschooling. Share this episode with them. Yes. As always, thanks for listening, friends, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Homeschool Your Way, a podcast by Bookshark. Be sure to subscribe wherever you're listening now so you'll be notified of future episodes. And if you have questions you'd like the hosts to answer or have any feedback about the podcast, please visit bookshark.com podcast to leave your comments. Or you can simply email podcast at bookshark.com.